This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with Tony DePasquale. How's it going? iOS and hardware hacker extraordinaire. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm awesome. So, Tony, I had to have you on because uh, you have built a crazy project in the office and what I think is one of the first hardware projects at ThoughtBot. Can you uh, talk about what this thing is? Yeah, sure. So I think it is the first hardware project and um, we used Arduinos basically to detect whether someone was in the bathroom or not. So, you know, as you know, obviously at the office here, we have two downstairs bathrooms, both are around this corner and um, like everyone knows you go over there and sometimes they're both taken up. So, uh, we decided to kind of, you know, mitigate that. And instead of having to walk over there to see if they're both taken, you can now just do it at your desk. And so uh, we used Arduinos and um, read switches, which are just basically on off. So if the door is closed, the read switch is closed and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And so the Arduino senses whether they're closed or not and then transmits that wirelessly to a hub, which is another Arduino that uploads it to an API. And then we can pull that API down and have all kinds of clients on our computers. You know, we have one in Ruby and one a, a Mac OS X client right now. And yeah, you can figure out from your from your seat whether you can go over there and there'll be one open or yeah. you have to wait. Which I think is an awesome example of the fact that we have completely run out of real problems. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I rem- I don't remember when this got proposed, but I th- I think I mentioned this early on and said you know because I have a zeroth world problem of going around the corner, we should do this. And then it like. It became a thing. Which yeah, I, th- I think it started with you. I think you might have mentioned it. Yeah. And I remember walking over there and seeing you like sitting over there waiting and being like, oh, I hate this. Yeah. So it was like perfect. <laughs> I, it's, this was costing me literally seconds every week. Yeah. Which is, you know, completely unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. So now you have like at least five seconds a day more, right? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. So what was the build process like? Can you walk us through it? Sure. You know, first we wanted to do kind of like a proof of concept. So we got a bunch of... Um, you know, ready-made Arduinos like the Arduino Uno or uh, the Arduino Fio, Arduino Yun. And can, just what is an Arduino? Yeah, okay, I'll start there. Perfect. So um, an Arduino is a microcontroller, uh, typically an 8-bit microcontroller development board. So basically, these this group of guys made um, this software that allows you to easily program these microcontrollers without having to know the ins and outs of how microcontrollers work. Okay. So they kind of made this abstraction layer above the microcontroller and have all these libraries to make it really easy for people who don't know much about, you know, hardware to actually program these Arduinos to do all kinds of fun stuff. Mm. That would what be. do you program them in? It's in C. Okay. But uh, the Arduino library um, is abstraction above that and you have all kinds of classes and functions to uh, interface with the with the C. Okay. It's actually C++, sorry. So well, what can you give me an example of like what these abstractions let you do? Sure. So for instance... Every microcontroller comes with a data sheet, and this data sheet tells you absolutely everything about this microcontroller. You know, how to use every single interface and peripheral and input and output on it, Mm -hmm. such as very simple as a digital input and output, right? So it's just a pin that um, when you set it to high, it is high, right? It's at 5 volts or whatever the power is. Mm -hmm. And when you set it low, it's at 0 volts. And so you have to do some kind of register manipulation inside of the microcontroller to get that to work. But they abstracted that, so all you have to do is call a function that says digital pin high. Mm. So it's like very easy, and they, they abstract all that register 
manipulation so you don't have to actually know the memory locations and stuff everything on the chip mm. which can which when you read the data sheet you understand that but you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff cool so that's really nice and then they have that on top of everything so you know for pwm or pulse width modulation for pulsing a pin at a certain frequency hmm. um they have that for analog reading and pretty much everything when so, do you want to pulse a pin um dimming leds is a if you want to dim an oh, led so you can have an led fully on or fully off but then you can dim it and if you do give it a 50 percent duty cycle which is you know half up half down uh it will be at half brightness per se oh cool so yeah it's for dimming or for motor control you know if you want to slow down a motor for a lot of like a car or something you pwm it uh, so it slows down interesting so th- this this level of abstraction basically brought hardware programmability into like to, to a wider audience i guess correct exactly so had you done hardware programming before arduino yeah so i actually wasn't really big into arduino until more recently because i was an electrical engineer so i had learned the microcontroller way and so i always liked doing the register manipulation and reading the data sheets and all that kind of fun stuff and being more in control of what exactly was going on. Mm-hmm. But I got more into Arduinos recently because they're so popular now and there's so many different boards you can use and there's a great community behind it. So, And a lot of co- our coworkers um, also want to learn. And so it was good for me to learn to help them learn. Totally. I, I took you away from the uh, the build process. Yeah. Was there a do you need to, were you soldering things for this project? Yeah. So the second version, after we got the proof of concept working, mm-hmm. we realized that there was too much power consumption mm. and it wasn't practical to sit there uh, and monitor our bathrooms. So so there, there are two pieces to this, right? Yep. The system has two main components? Yes. Okay. So there's a, the part that sits and monitors the bathrooms, which is the sensor board. Mm-hmm. And then... And monitor the bathroom, let's just be totally clear. Yeah. Means the door is open or closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have any cameras or anything in the bathroom, but... Yeah. Uh, Although you started saying in, in Campfire the other day that you, you were, their stats are being collected. Oh, yeah. We're, we're saving stats. I mean, we know when the door opens and we know when it closes and we have timestamps on those. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all kinds of fun data can be collected that It's way. surprising. Like, a few people were kind of creeped out by it. It's, yeah. It's surprisingly interesting and weird and whatnot. Like, you take something that's already happening and, it's, and like, you, anybody could have been tracking already. Yeah. But as soon as you, like, give it real numbers and say, the bathroom, the left one was used 34 times for an average of this long. And the, yep. people are like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. just gets a little weird. Yeah, it definitely does. But uh, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, so the other part is the hub, which sits uh, separately and can be plugged in. Mm. Um, and that is the part that will connect to the Wi-Fi and upload the data to the API. Mm-hmm. But the other part, the sensor board, is meant to be sitting near the door or wherever we're sensing something and doesn't necessarily have a wall out to be plugged into. So we want it to be battery powered. So we need it to be low power, right? Um, so the we were originally using the Arduino Fio, which is a little board that um, has a bar- battery charger on it and has a battery connection, so it was very nice. But it wasn't as low power as we needed, hmm. and there weren't any Arduinos that did because most Arduinos come with LEDs on them to detect, so to, to tell you whether the power is on, hmm. basically. So when the power is on, when you plug a battery in, the LEDs on. But LEDs use a lot of power. So I wanted a board without an LED on, but still had the Arduino interface, mm-hmm. and it didn't really exist, or not that I could find. So being an electrical engineer, um, I really wanted to make my own hardware. And so we decided to design our own board, lay it out, schematics, everything, order PCBs. What's a PCB? Oh. Printed circuit board? Printed circuit board. Yeah, thank okay. you. Wow. Blanked right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the little circuit boards. And um, yeah, we ordered those, soldered them together with all the parts, and put the Arduino software on it, and it was working. So it was great. So you built your own Arduino? Yes. Interesting. Okay. And it's got a lot of cool features in it that are really useful for us and actually might be really useful to a lot of other people in the world. Hmm. So you're going to open up the schematics then to that? Yes. So I'm going to open source the hardware and the uh, software. Awesome. Because um, there's a couple of software libraries that I also will provide with that. 
Uh, and yeah, that will be open. Hopefully I'll get the blog post out next week or so and uh, people will be able to do it themselves. Very cool. So you, you achieved your low power goal? Yeah. So it's amazing. We've probably saved a factor of like 100 um, from the original FIO design. So originally we were using a radio called XB, mm-hmm. which is a very popular open source. Or not, I don't know if it's open source hardware, but very popular radio in the community. Um, and the problem was it's always on. So it had a lot of current draw. Okay. So we wanted to do something different. So we ended up switching to this other wireless chip that had a sleep mode and everything. So we could put it in low power mode and it would save tons of power. But the FIO was still drawing too much power. So that's why we went to this one. But, you know, from the original design with the XB and the FIO mm-hmm. um, to the design we have now, I think we've saved, yeah, probably about a factor of 100 or more wow. in, uh, in current consumption, which is directly related to power. So, um, yeah, this thing could last a lot longer now. It, it has the potential to last for months. Whereas before it was only going to last eight hours. Wow. So yeah, huh. a lot of power savings. Good. Yeah. How will you know if the, I guess the, it'll just stop reporting. Yeah. We'll, we'll notice it stops reporting one day. Yeah. I think it would have been nice to have some type of battery new, level indicator. Maybe on like there. new relic monitoring. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a rails joke. Tony's an iOS guy. That's why I didn't get that. <laughs> Trust me. That was hilarious. <laughs> what is the programming like in the, in the C++ environment? How is it? Um, it's interesting. It's way different than the way we do stuff here in, you know, Rails or iOS or whatever. A lot of the stuff is really small. Uh, so usually, or when I say small, I mean like you don't need a lot of code to get done what you need to do Mm -hmm. because you just need to, you know, either send some stuff on an input, maybe do some stuff on an output. But I mean, you know, things get more complicated, obviously, but it's different because the IDE doesn't leave a lot of room for like abstraction i guess you know it's it seems like it'd be really simple the idea makes you know makes it feel really simple to just put everything in one file um you know have you have two main methods you have a setup and a loop function and uh you put everything in the setup that you want to set up the arduino and then the loop uh everything executes in there Mm -hmm. and it's kind of different when you think about it because uh with microcontrollers everything happens in a loop otherwise it just exits and the microcontroller is done, mm-hmm. right? So you have to have a, basically an infinite loop as your main program execution cycle. Yep. And so in this infinite loop, you have everything you want to do. And so uh, that loop uh, function that you get with Arduino is where you put all that code. And so it's a little different that way because, you know, with usually Rails or with iOS, you kind of don't think of things happening in a continuous loop like that. Mm-hmm. Also, you have to constantly worry about memory and uh, code space. So if you have too much code, uh, you know, your Arduino may not be able to fit all the code on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and say with memory, if you're using too many variables or, you know, big arrays and stuff like that, you might run out of memory space. So you have to worry about those things with microcontrollers. Um, you know, when, you, when you're when you using a small number, you might want to use a car instead of an int just hmm. because you're saving a couple bytes there, stuff like that. And so, you know, you don't want to abstract your code so much where it's like, you know, we hear like abstracted code because it's cleaner and everything, but sometimes it uses more lines. And so maybe sometimes it makes more sense to just put all the lines in one area just because you're using less space in the code memory. Hmm. How much memory is there for that on these There's boards? There's 32 kilobytes hmm. okay. of code space, I'm pretty sure. Wow, so you, are, you definitely are constrained then. Yes. Hmm. And I think you have like two kilobytes of memory, of actual like variable memory, something like that. That sounds surprising given how big memory has gotten lately. Is that because of like power and cost and whatnot? Yeah, I think with the microcontrollers, they, since it's all on one chip, Mm-hmm. They uh, this is like onboard inside yeah, the chip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that what a system on a chip is? A system on a chip is typically multiple things on one chip. So it's usually a system on a chip is usually a microcontroller and something else. Like so, you might have a microcontroller, a Bluetooth, uh, you know, transceiver, 
and a USB uh, transceiver. I mean, like that would be a system, like a whole, a couple different things. If it's just a microcontroller, I, I usually don't call it system on a chip. Okay, gotcha. So what was the, the cost for this project? That was the other great part about changing from the FIO and the XB is those two things are pretty expensive. But now that we've made our own board, the cost is probably close to $20 per a full board hmm. um, of parts and materials. And that's at low quantities, right? Mm -hmm. And that's great. You know, that's, that's cheap and uh, it leaves us for, to be able to make a lot more for other things too. Sure. So that's $20 per door plus that other receiver the other uh $20 per sensor module so like the one downstairs we have two doors connected to one module okay so you know it's not like per door per se because yeah. we can reach both doors with one module gotcha cool so you ended up building your own board soldering stuff laying schematics yeah. but that's atypical right if, if people just wanted to like start playing with this and hacking around they could just buy prefabbed arduino boards and get to town yeah definitely no no definitely you should definitely um be playing with boards and get the proof of concept going for any project you have hmm. uh, before you go out and design something because you learn so much when you're doing that kind of stuff that you mm -hmm. don't really know what you want to design until you get something working with other things and it makes it's sense. much easier to get things that are made and that you can trust instead of having to potentially screw something up when you design your own boards totally it just sounds just like the software world yeah with like doing exactly. a quick prototype and then throwing it away and then, exactly then building it out that's cool so you did some 3d printing as part of this right uh yeah so I guess I forgot to mention that the beginning of this kind of all started around our two-day uh, hackathon kind of mm -hmm. thing that we mm -hmm. had at, the, at ThoughtBot. And that was our project is to make this bathroom sensor for that, those two days. So the original idea was to have some sort of LED or some sort of light indicator so that you could kind of just look over toward the bathrooms from your desk and see whether the light was on, you know, maybe red, meaning that they're both occupied. Or if mm -hmm. the light's off, you can, go, you can get up off your desk and go over there. And so we wanted some sort of housing for this light. So it wasn't just like a LED hanging in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to take uh, Ralph, which is our, you know, mascot, mm -hmm. um, take his head and 3D print like his head, basically, and stick an LED in the in the headpiece and have it kind of shine. I mean, I've never done any really 3D CAD or anything, mm -hmm. but I knew enough about it from playing around a long time ago that... I could probably do it. So we like tried with, I think it was one, two, three D CAD software. Mm -hmm. And we designed like a little square with like rounded corners pretty much. And it had some depth to it with like two eyes for Ralph basically. Mm -hmm. So it was very simple. And, um, we went down. So Lydia, our coworker told me that MakerBot had a store in Boston. So that was awesome. So we decided to go down there and try to get it 3D printed that day. Mm -hmm. And we went there and the guy told us that it was going to take like seven hours to print. Mm. And this thing was, it was because it was so big. And it, I mean, to us, it was only like, you know, three, four inches by, you know, two or three inches. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that big, but I guess it took a while. So hmm. we had to reduce it to like 20%. And so it came out, I think, like an inch by a half inch or something like that. Right. And so it was way too tiny, but we fit a small LED in there and it worked and it lit up, but it was nothing we were going to actually use. Yeah. Um, Cause it ended up being too small. I'd like to redo it and maybe print a bigger one um, now that we have more time mm -hmm. uh, and have it actually hang, but we'll see. So MakerBot is a 3D printing company. They make 3D printers. Yes. They make 3D printers. Yep. Cool. And they have stuff in the store. You can just go ahead and use it directly if you don't want to buy your own. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the printer itself is expensive for a person sometimes, you know, for mm -hmm. me at least. And, uh, but they, now they have stores everywhere or not everywhere, but in a lot of cities and you can go to the store and have something printed out for a pretty good price too. Like for not having a printer, um, it's like 20 bucks an hour or half hour or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a good deal. So I really enjoyed it. And I think it's cool because I've always wanted to 3d print something, but I've never wanted to spend the money on a yeah. 3d printer. 
it's kind of amazing. It feels a little bit like magic. Like you, you want custom hardware created for you and like, yeah, no problem. It's half an hour. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Very cool. And do you have any future plans for 3D printing stuff? Um, yeah, I think, like I said, I'd like to 3D print maybe another case for this because right now we're using like this kind of dull black, you know, project case. That's like the standard project cases you find in, you know, a Radio Shack or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just to hold all the components? Yeah, just to hold the components. And the server, the Arduino Yoon, our, our hub, is kind of just sitting out there in the open. So it'd be nice to make some nice cases for those things to kind of keep them contained a little bit and so people don't, you know, smack them or knock them over or spill water on them or something. Yeah. So that'd be nice. So mm-hmm. We'll see. Cool. I saw, uh, again, in Campfire, someone, someone saw your post where you sort of talked about this and decided to apply here because they like, liked the, the crazy hacking that was going on. Yeah, that was crazy. I saw that yesterday, I think, that someone must have read our uh, the Arduino post and was so happy that ThoughtBot like did these cool things, you know, besides just software that allowed that or I think he was happy about that ThoughtBot allowed their employees to mm. basically hack on whatever, you know, as long as it benefited someone and, you know, we're doing this for the company. So Yeah. Um, you know, he was really amped about that and I guess he applied. Did he apply? I think he did, yeah. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah. And it's nice because, like, like you said, the guideline I think at the start of the the hackathon thing was just like work on a team. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, it's like you, know, you can do whatever you want as long as you can convince one other person to work with you. Yeah, right, right. And it's nice to have that flexibility. Yeah, yeah, it worked out. We had two people on the team, uh, so a total of three for the Arduino thing, and that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. Do you have any other interesting projects coming up that you're working on, or hopes and dreams one day? Yeah, yeah. I think right now we have the bathroom sensors, but. These, this little sensor module board I made is uh, can sense anything and send that information up to the API we're using. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to add more around the office so we can monitor the other bathroom upstairs, but also anything, all really. Bathrooms. Yeah, all the bathrooms. So we can monitor temperature around the office and see how the temperature changes in different areas around the office, which hmm. might be an interesting data point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just fun stuff like that. Maybe we monitor uh, the light. I, everyone keeps suggesting that we have these light sensors on the windows. And so when it gets too bright, we automatically lower the the uh, curtains, mm. right, or whatever. And so, or when it's too dark, or when it's dark enough outside, we automatically open the curtains because we like the curtains open for, you know, the out, outdoor view and, the, yep. and the, the outdoor light coming in. But when the sun comes up at like noontime, it just gets too bright. So we want to close them. Right. So why not automate that? Oh, man. We'll see that. That sounds like a bit, it could it could go so wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like we bro- we broke all the blinds and you know you can't <laughs> yeah. do them manually anymore and the system doesn't work and we're stuck. Yep. <laughs> if I recall correctly, when I came and grabbed you for the podcast, it looked like you were looking at stoplights. Oh yes. Yeah. So, um, like I said, the original idea was to have some sort of light indicator uh, hanging there, and so we've moved away from a hanging LED to actually having a traffic light. <laughs> uh, so I was looking at traffic lights to see. Uh, which would be best. And we're kind of in this internal debate on whether we want a standard three light traffic light or if we would just want one of those like single ones that you see maybe flashing red or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of looking around to see what our options are. But if we had a three light traffic light, I'm not sure what all the different lights would be. Maybe like green. I don't want one that's like always on because there's gonna be a lot of times where the bathrooms are both open. So mm, always on is just like, it'd just be an annoying light. Right. So it makes sense to just have one light for when they're both occupied, right? Sure. And so just a red would make sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what I'd do if I had a green, yellow, and red. Right. Maybe hmm. yellow could mean like the upstairs one's open, but the bottom two are down oh, or yeah. closed or something. I yeah. don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be cool. 
So you you had a background in this from school, it sounds like. You studied electrical engineering? Yes, correct. Um, so for people that are looking to get into a little bit of hardware hacking that don't have that background, do you have any resources to recommend? Yeah, definitely stick with the Arduino stuff. And if you buy one of like the Arduino starter kits, they come with a bunch of little hardware peripherals like motors and LEDs and um, all that kind of fun stuff. And it comes with usually a book that tells you how to hook them all up and how to program the Arduino to interface with them. Mm-hmm. And I think those are just great ways to start because it's kind of like learning by tutorials or learning by examples. And that's the best way to learn hardware because there's so much to do with you know the math and the equations and, and all that kind of stuff with hardware that it can get daunting really fast. Mm-hmm. And most hardware books will go that length. And so you don't want to get overwhelmed or daunted by, you know, all that information. So, right. you know, really taking it easy and just, you know, learning from the kind of like hacker DIY side of things um, is makes it easier, I think. And so if people want to learn, you definitely check that kind of stuff out. You know, Arduino is a popular one right now. Raspberry Pis are popular right now. Those kind of things, you know, look into those and start with those for sure. Cool. It seems like there's a bit of a renaissance in the hardware world where suddenly it's gotten like cheap enough and easy enough for way more people to do it. Like it seems that there seems to be an explosion of this all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, there is. You know, things are getting getting cheaper. Little microcontrollers, they're getting cheaper. Making boards getting cheaper. Components all getting cheaper. And it's awesome because I love it. You know, I love this kind of stuff and I love being able to do it as a side project, you know, kind of, you know, things at home. Mm-hmm. But things used to be way expensive and now they're coming down in price, making it more feasible for everyone to enjoy and people can hack on their own projects. And I think it's just one of those things that it's great for as many people as possible to know about, you know? It's like, it'd be great if, like, you know, most people in this country could know about software, could know about hardware. Like, just, it's great, you know, that kind of stuff is awesome. Mm-hmm. I-, I was hearing someone else talk about, uh, this is a programmer who, like, had done a, a couple projects uh, in the hardware world, and she said, it's really amazing and thrilling to have your code make something happen in the real world, as opposed to just, like, these invisible things are moving around. And like it has, it's like uniquely satisfying that way. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I, I've, I've always loved programming. I've programmed before I was doing hardware stuff. And, you know, that you, it's a great satisfaction to, to see your, your code, you know, or your GUI or whatever do something um, on a computer. But when you actually make something move in real life, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be even more frustrating than software and the issues you have with software because there's so many great tools out there for debugging software and finding bugs and errors and stuff like that but Mm. hardware the tools to debug that kind of stuff can be expensive and usually you don't have access to them so when you solve a tough problem or you get something working like first try it's just awesome nice it's really awesome cool well i appreciate you dropping by and talking about this uh creepy awesome bathroom project yeah thank you for having me on yeah cool so if you want to access show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 87. <laughs> Tony, what's your Twitter handle if people want to get in touch with you? So it's at TonyD256. Oh, 256. Of yeah, I know. Nice. That was random. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.